Hey, uh, how's everybody doing tonight? You guys alive and well? Anybody get sunburned so far? Anybody? Yeah, I, I got sunburned yesterday. If, uh, if you're not yet, go ahead and go out tomorrow. Sunburn yourself for the first time this season. Hey, we're continuing in this series, Explicit Lyrics, and it's been a really, really fun series thus far. And um, as Scott said, it really, really is going to heat up tonight. Um, I'm really excited about where we're going tonight. Last service was really, really fun. I remember this kind of moment in a relationship pretty well, pretty vividly. It was December 22nd. Year 2000, it had been a long four-year journey of dating all through college, and we decided to get married in December, which meant that I had to take extra classes so that I could graduate early so that we could get married, which is quite the motivating force because I took... 22 hours of class on top of working on the weekends so that we could get married in December. And that's what we did. And it was a beautiful, beautiful day. We actually got this really beautiful snow that day in Kentucky. It just scattered over the horse farms. It was, it was great. We had this huge, big celebration with lots of family, lots of friends. It was a true like Southern wedding, you know, big family affair. And then we had groomsmen and bridesmaids. And it was a day that was just kind of magical and beautiful. And that that we stood in front of everybody and made our vows before them and before God. And the guy who officiated that ceremony was that youth minister guy who took my Walkman like 10 years earlier. You know, we, we patched things up, smoothed things over. It was a great day. It was, it was a day that Allie, my wife, had been planning for a long, long time. Followed by a night that I had been planning for a long, long time time. And that's where we're going tonight. We're going we're gonna to continue in this explicit lyrics series, and we're going to watch this couple that we've been tracking with for three weeks now. We're going to watch them get married, and then we're going to watch them consummate their marriage. And we're, here's the deal. We're going to get six verses, six verses on wedding stuff, okay, sung by the bride, probably not a big surprise. Then we're going to get well over a chapter of wedding night stuff sung by the groom. Probably not a surprise. It's going to be an interesting, interesting night. Now, today we're going to look at Song of Songs, chapter 3, verse 6. Um, grab your Bibles, grab one of these free Bibles we have down here, back there. It's page 472 in the Flatirons Bible. Now, when we say, I need to clear this up because we've had a couple questions. When we say Flatirons Bible, that's not like Jim and Scott's revised standard version or anything like that. Nobody would publish that. Um, that's just a normal, regular old NIV Bible. We just say Flatirons Bible to help clarify. You can turn to page 472. So that's where we're going tonight. And the verses will be on the screen there also in your program. You can circle things and do whatever you want. Draw pictures even tonight if you want. So far, we've watched this couple meet. We've watched them be attracted to one another. We've watched them start dating. We've watched them get serious. And last week, remember this, we left off with this couple hot and bothered in her parents' bedroom in the middle of the night setting a wedding date. You remember that? That's where where we left off. And so far, we've seen them have a high regard for one another. We've seen them respect one another deeply. We've seen a lot of romance in their, in their relationship. We've seen a lot of restraint. And we watched them last week reveal who they were and who they are at their deepest levels. And along the way, there's been some explicit moments, right? I mean, there's been some, some hot moments where, where we can't look at certain things the same way as we used to. We can't look at pearls the same way, thanks to Jim. We can't look at apples the same. Some of you have given up eating apples because of this series. We can't look at hills the same way. And we haven't even gotten to the sex stuff yet, folks. 
They haven't even had sex yet in this book and it's already been this hot. So that just prepares you for where we're going tonight because it's wedding day, which is followed by wedding night. Now, before we dive in, here's what I got to tell you. Okay. I have a really interesting task tonight because the last thing I want to do is make sex feel and sound very technical and science book like. So I'm going to avoid certain technical terms, but I also don't want to be like horribly offensive or crude, which means I have to find somewhere in the middle. So I'm going to ask for your grace tonight as I try my best to navigate through one of the most explicit things I've ever read in my entire life. Okay, so that's where we're going. Grab your Bibles, turn to Song of Songs, chapter 3, verse 6. We've got a lot of ground to cover tonight. We're going all the way through chapter 5, verse 1. She's singing here. Remember, this is a duet. So the bride is singing here and she says this, who is this coming up from the desert like a column of smoke? Now stop right there. She's talking about Solomon. He's approaching now with a lot of pomp and circumstance because it's his wedding day and he's the king. This is a big deal. Now, column of smoke is supposed to remind the readers of the nation of Israel as they wandered in the desert after they fled Egypt on their way to the promised land. Because if you've ever heard the story before, while they're out in the desert, they're being led by God by a cloud by day and fire by night until one day they finally got to arrive in the promised land. And that day, that moment was a sacred moment, a special moment where God was fully Present And she's saying this day is like that day. This is a sacred moment where God is fully present. This is a big, serious deal. And so if there's any part of you, if you're getting ready to get married, thinking about getting married or already engaged or whatever, if you're getting married tomorrow and you're thinking, well, if it doesn't work out, we can always get divorced and then I'll try to work on this with somebody else. If you have any part of that running through your brain, could I please plead with you? Don't get married. For your sake and our sake, because divorce, we all know this, doesn't just happen to the two people who get divorced. The fallout is all over the place, all over all kinds of relationships. If there's any part of you that's going, I'll be faithful to him as long as kind of the love lasts or the sparks between us. If there's any part of you that's going, I'm not really sure if it's possible for two people to be faithful to each other for as long as they both shall live. If you have any of that in your brain, please, please, please don't get married. Back out now. Because this is a serious, sacred deal. Now, continuing with verse 6. She says of Solomon, he's perfumed with myrrh and incense made from all the spices of the merchant. Now, we can't gloss over this because I've been to plenty of weddings where the doors fling open in the back. The mother of the bride stands up and then we all stand up and she walks through through the doors and we all go, Oh my gosh, she's so beautiful. She's so gorgeous. She looks spectacular. She looks great. All the while, she's marching towards a dude who's still hung over from the night before. He hasn't taken a shower. He hasn't shaved. He hasn't even looked in the mirror. Guys, here's a piece of advice. Don't be that guy hung over on the altar as your beautiful bride approaches. All right, that one's, that one's free. All right, so here we go. Verse 7, she sings on. Look, it is Solomon's carriage escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel. All of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each with his sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. Do you think there was any doubt in this woman's mind that he would protect her at all costs? I think she felt safe and secure knowing that she had Solomon approaching and saying, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with you. Let me, let me let you into my world here for a minute. One of my goals in my marriage, I don't think I've ever even told Allie this. This may sound kind of weird or whatever, but it's just true. One of my goals in my marriage is that Allie sleep well at night. Now, kids have interrupted that for a few years now. That's not my fault. But things are getting better. They sleep pretty good at night. Here's what I mean by that, okay? 
I don't want her to be so concerned, so anxious and so worried about anything, any circumstances in our life that she can't sleep at night. There's been plenty of moments where she hasn't, but I want to do the best I can to provide an environment for her where she feels safe and secure on every level. I get up really, really early in the morning. I'm one of those crazy morning people, you know. I get up early in the morning and when I leave the house, I kiss Allie on the forehead and I love those mornings where she doesn't wake up at all because she's sleeping so soundly. I have this kind of moment of going, ah, that I, I like that. Because I want her to feel protected by me in every way, physically, spiritually, financially, all that. Now, there's another piece to this. Sixty men are standing up with Solomon on the day of his wedding. Now, the whole bridesmaid groomsman thing was never meant to be something you do to appease your friends and acquaintances on the day of your wedding. That was never what it was supposed to be. The idea was, is you pick people who are going to stand there with you and take a vow before each other and before God that they have as much concern for your marriage as you do. And they will do whatever it takes to protect your marriage. They love you and they want to see your marriage thrive. So whether you have one person or 25 people standing up there with you or not, view View it as significant. That's a beautiful thing. And she sings on in verse 9. King Solomon made for himself the carriage. He made it of wood from Lebanon. Its posts he made of silver. Its base of gold. Its seat was upholstered with purple. Its interior love, lovingly inlaid by the daughters of Jerusalem. Now here's where I get kind of ticked off at Solomon. Because he's pr- apparently pretty handy. Can make stuff. I'm not handy at all. I can't make anything. I fought with my weed eater all morning today. Okay, But he spent... Hours and hours of his time and money and effort crafting this carriage that he and his bride are going to ride together in because he wants to make something fit for a queen. His love was poured into that for her because she is a queen. Let's move on. Verse 11, she sings this. Come out, you daughters of Zion. Look at King Solomon wearing the crown, the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day his heart Rejoice. Now, it's been traditional in many, many different cultures for many centuries for um, women and men, whether they were royalty or not, to be crowned on the day of their wedding. The, the mother of the groom would make a crown for her son, place it on his head, and he would wear it while he was being married. I'm like, dang, we missed out on that. I kind of would have liked a crown, you know? But we've kind of retained the idea of the wedding cap and the veil and the tiara idea for the bride that's placed on her head by her father. It's all symbolic of parents letting go of their children. Saying, you guys go now and become one. You've got to leave this relationship let loosen your grip on our relationship so you can tighten your grip on this new relationship the bible talks about this idea of leaving and cleaving leaving these relationships so that you can become one in this relationship how many of us have been a part of or witnessed a relationship where either the parents weren't wise enough to let go or the children weren't wise enough to leave well bad bad things are on the horizon when you don't leave well and let go well a lot of us have walked down that path And one more thing she says about this day. She says, this is a day that Solomon's heart, his heart rejoiced. She remembers this as a joyful day where he was full of joy. Weddings are meant to be joyful occasions. They're not meant to be overwhelmed by stress of details and family members that that you don't even want to see. They're They're not meant to be overwhelmed by all these outside circumstances. And let me just tell you, the details of your wedding going smoothly are not as important as the fact that you're becoming one with someone. That's important. So take the pressure off and experience the joy. Now, 
Time out. That's all we get, folks. That's all we get on the wedding, okay? There's not, if you notice, there's not even any details about the ceremony. It's as if Solomon jumps in, he's like ready to sing, and he's like grabbing the remote, and he fast forwards through all the ceremony, and he fast forwards through the cake cutting and the throwing of the garter and the bouquet, and he fast forwards past that awkward speech by his best man who's never talked in front of anybody in his life. He, he fast forwards through all of that, and then he hits play when they arrive at the hotel room. And so far, we've watched attraction lead to dating. Dating blossomed into full-fledged, serious relationship and love, which is now in full bloom. They're married. And well, now, you might just say, it's business time. Uh, let us pray or something. I don't, (laughs) what do you do with that? I mean, next time Brian's leading you in a heartfelt worship song, you're gonna have to close your eyes, right? It's like, he's ruined everything. And here's the thing. Okay. All the married people in the room were laughing uproariously, but before you get married, that is not what you picture on your wedding night, right? I mean, I can kind of let you into how guys picture their wedding night. We kind of go into the night with a playbook. You know, with a mental playbook of like, okay, so here's the plays we're going to run tonight. And the idea is how do you utilize the most space and every piece of furniture in the room? And, and you got kind of this thing in your brain going, I'm going to go through every sexual fantasy I've ever had in this one night. We're going to try out every position there's ever been invented. And then we're going to invent some more positions. And then we're going to take a time out. We're going to draw up some new plays. I mean, that's kind of the way guys think about their wedding night. That, that's the way we look at it. Okay. When I was in, in Bible college, Bible college is kind of a, a weird deal. Okay. For many, many reasons. I don't have time to go into all of them, but one of them is, is that everybody in Bible college pretty much gets married really, really young because guilt-free sex is a high motivating factor. Okay. And so every guy on our floor got married within like three or four years. And so every time a guy got married, we would, we would grab him. We would sit him down. We go, okay, here's your over under number for your wedding night. Now here's what I mean by that. We would pick a number of how many times they were supposed, we thought they would have sex on their wedding night. And then we would take bets on if he would be over that or under that. And we would set these like outlandish numbers, like nine, you know, be like, you should be able to do that, man. Come on. You know? And so the deal was he had to be honest. And when he got back from his honeymoon, he had to tell us what the number was. And so we had this guy one time, he came back, he was our RA he comes back from his honeymoon. He comes walking down our floor to say hi to everybody. And we're like, whoa, whoa, hey, everybody's got to settle the bet. Here we go. What was your number? And he looks at us and goes, well, actually, um, uh, we were really tired. We had to drive like four hours to the place we were staying. And, and we just kind of went to bed when we got there. And we're like, our jaws are on the floor. We're like, what? Like, how, wh- I mean, there's rest areas along the way, bro. You know, what, what, what's the deal with that? And here's the thing. That's just how guys think. I, I don't know how women picture their wedding night and things like that, but I'm pretty sure it's not what I just described to you. It's probably a lot more romantic and magical and beautiful and all that. But here's the thing. There's this tension because every married person in the room just laughed at that song because we can identify with business time. But all, everybody in here is not married, never been married, is probably sitting there going, well, what, what's the deal? I mean, is sex in the context of marriage a magical, beautiful thing or is it simply just business time? And here's the answer, right? Everybody can answer with me who's married if you want. Uh, both. 
It's both sometimes, and we'll talk about that here in a little while. But before we do that, let's just kind of watch, okay? Let's watch what happens with this couple in chapter 4, because things are going to get intense. And notice that he's singing now. Now, guys, take good notes tonight, okay? There are some great tips in here for you tonight. Write this stuff down. Verse 1. He sings, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Now stop right there. He's wise enough to be speaking to her. He compliments her. He doesn't just tackle her. He doesn't just wear like a breakaway tux and go, ta-da, you know, and then just overwhelm her like Tarzan or something like that because she's a virgin and he approaches her gently. He doesn't frighten her away. He's wise enough to address the biggest sex organ a woman has, her mind, her heart. Then he's smart enough to continue moving down her body. Look at the next part of this verse. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. Now here's what, here's the deal. He's letting her hair down. He's looking her in the eyes. He's letting her hair down because women in this culture had very, very long hair. They didn't even cut it hardly ever. And so he's letting her hair down and it's tumbling down her body and he's doing his best. He goes, your hair is like a A flock of goats running down the side of a mountain, you know? Now, don't throw stones. He's working hard here, okay? (laughs) He continues his way down her body. Verse 2 is my favorite part. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. She's brushed her teeth. This is a good thing. Now, I'm from Kentucky, so this is all very relevant, okay? And notice it says that each one has its twin. He's standing there going, she's got all her teeth. That's a good thing, you know? This is, this is good. Now, I get it. There was no dentists, you know? But here's the, here's the mind-blowing part of this, okay? This is the thing I realized this week. This is probably more than likely the first moment he's seen her entire face. This was a culture where women were veiled, much like many Middle Eastern cultures are to this day. The only men who've probably seen her face are her father and her brothers. Now, time out for a second. Guys, that's a nerve-wracking moment. Please be pretty. Please be pretty. Please be pretty. Yes! You know, it's like, and she's smiling. She's confident. And he's feeling good about himself. And so he continues working his way down her body. Verse 3. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David built with elegance. On it hangs a thousand shields, all of them shields of a warrior. He's moving in for a kiss. He's kissing her lips and they're pleasing to him. He's holding her head, kissing her, kissing her neck and speaking to her in romantic ways. And in that In that day, women wore um, necklaces that had all kinds of flattened gold coins all around their neck that went on down their chest. And so when he says your neck is like the Tower of David, here's what he's comparing it to. The Tower of David was a military structure that when all the men were home from battle in times of peace, they would hang their shields on it. So that was a beautiful sight. That was a beautiful sight. Our men are home. We're at peace. This is beautiful. He's saying, I'm at home with you. I'm at peace with you. You're a beautiful sight. He's doing good, isn't he? He's doing really good. Look at this. Verse 5, he moves down her body and he's undressing her now. And he says this, Your two breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Now, I cannot describe this verse for you any better than what Jim, our lead pastor, did a couple years ago. So check this out. 
Here's, guys, here's your sex tip for, for, for tonight, okay? It's, 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 it's. Solomon says her breasts are like fawns. Now, how do you approach a fawn? You don't go, hey, it's a fawn, you know? <laughs> that fawn's like, no, you know, no, 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 no. Right? You with me? You with me? You with me? No, you sneak up on a fawn. <laughs> right? That's beautiful. That's why he's the lead pastor. You know, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> Let's move on. All right. It gets better. It gets juicier. Here we go. Until the day breaks. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Translation, all night long. I will go. I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. All beautiful you are, my darling. There is no flaw in you. In other words, he's taking his time here all night long. Mountain of myrrh refers again to her breasts because she's already referred in this song to him being like a pouch of myrrh between her breasts all night long. So that's what it refers to. Now, hill of incense is a little more complicated. Now, I put our entire staff on a research project, unlike any any church staff has ever had this week, when I said to them, guys, you got to give me some terminology for what this is referring to that is neither science book-like nor crude or offensive, okay? And so I had to throw out all the answers the men gave me, okay? Those all got put away somewhere far, far away. So these, these things I'm about to say to you to describe what Hill of Incense means are straight from the mouths of women okay so you can yell at them if any of this bothers you this is what they told me to say they said scott you can say things like this this hill of incense represents her hoo-ha chachi flower or vajayjay apparently that's oprah's term i don't quote oprah unless there's two degrees of separation so this qualifies all right here's the translation he's exploring her body slowly and intentionally and he's telling her throughout all this that she is all beautiful cats is all beautiful all there is no flaw in you now this is important man i want you to listen okay Our definition of beauty in our culture is trying to be set by magazines, television, pornography, and the internet. I cannot imagine the pressure that every woman in our culture feels to live up to digitally enhanced airbrushed images that are poured into our brains night and day from the grocery store aisle to the banner ads on every website we see. And it's not fair and it's not reality. And don't you dare hold her up to that. Okay? Here's the thing, okay? Here's the teaching in this. Don't ever, ever, ever criticize your wife's body. Don't ever criticize her physical appearance. I just had a conversation after the first service, and here's the truth. She told me this. You can't take that back. She said, I know he's sorry, but it's wounded me deeply. It's cut me to my core, and I can't get over it. Guys, you can't take it back. Don't ever criticize her body. She is your bride. She's God's gift to you. And by the way, she looks better than you naked. Okay? I I heard somebody say once, you know, the female form is the most beautiful thing created by by the hand of God. And I agree. And I heard the same person say, men just look like half-decorated Christmas trees, you know? (laughs) Verse 8. Let's just keep going, okay? He sings. Come with me from Lebanon. There's going to be some guys go home tonight and be like, get out that Christmas tree. I don't understand. (laughs) How do we... We got to just roll. Here's the deal. All right. 
He says this, he says, come with me from Lebanon, my bride, come with me from Lebanon, descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Sinir, the summit of Hermon, from the lion's dens and the leopard haunts, or, or, or the mountain haunts of the leopards. Now here's, here's the deal. Here, here's what he's saying. Leopards live up in the mountains. Lions live in the lowlands. He's summoning her to escalate this experience. He's calling her higher and higher and higher. You get in there? You understand? You, you understand where we're going? He's calling her to climax. He's concerned about her orgasm. It's not all about him. It's not. Look at verse 9. You're going, this is not in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Okay. You've stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You've stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume than any spice. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb. My bride, milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like that of Lebanon. He's drunk on her, folks. He is drunk on her. It is safe to say they're in the middle of full-fledged intercourse now. And he is pleased. He's pleased with her body. She's pleased with his. And he's continuing to speak to her throughout all of this. He's continuing to kiss her with deep, sensual kisses. As he says, milk and honey are under your tongue. The only way he knows that is because he's there. He's continuing to engage her heart, her mind, her eyes. This is why it's called making love. They're not having sex. They're involved in an incredibly free and pleasing spiritual and physical experience. I heard a teacher recently talk about the importance of some form of light being on when you make love. Maintaining eye contact and communicating with each other and looking at each other. For men, whatever they're looking at when they orgasm, they they have a strong connection to that. Which is why pornography is so dangerous on so many levels. It damages you psychologically, emotionally, sexually, all of it. So men, look at your wife. Talk to her. Light some candles and enjoy her body. Now look at verse 12. He sings this. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You're a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Translation, he's discovered that she is a virgin. Her body was locked up. She's a closed spring, a sealed fountain. And then he moves on in verse 13. It says, your plants, remember garden is a metaphor for her body. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits with henna and nard and nard and saffron and calamus and cinnamon with every kind of incense tree and myrrh and aloes and all the finest spices. All their senses are engaged in this act of making love. Taste, smell, touch, sight, sound, all of it is in play. And he sings on as they reach the end of their first physical experience in verse 15. You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. You notice the difference between that verse and just a couple verses above it? Just a few few moments ago, she was a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Now she's a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. That means what you think it means. Okay? She has climaxed. And this, is, this, is, this will sound incredibly weird to our culture's ears, but in this culture, it was normal for the city or town elders to go examine the wedding sheets after their first experience together to make sure that she was a virgin. And if it was found out that she wasn't, they could actually hold her father accountable for not preserving her virginity and the wedding, the marriage could actually be annulled. Glad that cultural practice is gone. But now she gets to sing. For the first time. She's singing now. Verse 16. Check this out. 
And whatever you think this might mean, just let your mind go crazy, okay? Awake north wind and come south wind, blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread abroad. Let my lover come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. In Israel, north winds are strong, south winds are gentle. She's saying he was strong, he was gentle, all at the right moments. He handled me appropriately at the appropriate time. Tommy Nelson, guy we've been reading a lot preparing for this series, says this. He says, great sex to a woman is tenderness. Great sex to a man is responsiveness. I think that's pretty accurate. Meaning she wants intentionality and time and care and concern. And he wants to see and know that you appreciate and enjoy what he's doing and respond to that in kind. So here it is. Here's the picture. They're finished. They're laying together in the bridal chamber, right outside the bridal chamber. All the guests are partying. The reception is still going on. It was very, very common in this culture for the marriage to be consummated while everybody else continued on with the celebration. They would get married, then they would go right over there. They would go consummate the wedding. Everybody would cheer them on from outside. I mean, it's a pretty amazing deal. And, and these parties would last sometimes for weeks upon weeks. And sometimes the couple would have sex and then they would come back out and join the party, eat some cake, get some punch and go back in. Sometimes they would stay there for a long, long time and never come out. But the guests would just keep on partying. It's kind of a cool thing. Now he sings in chapter 5, verse 1. They're laying there in bed together. I've come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I've gathered my myrrh with my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I've drunk my wine and my milk. This is a couple that is naked and not ashamed. This is a beautiful picture of what sex was always meant to be, joyful and full of freedom. Not that feeling of immediate shame most of us are all too familiar with, of quickly zipping up and walking out. This is no fear. This is no shame. This is only joy. This is only freedom. This is the way it was supposed to be. And also, guys, notice something. Write this down. Solomon's not asleep yet. Okay, he's still awake after sex. Okay, he's holding her. He's spending time with her. He's cuddling her. He's he's speaking to her. And notice as well, they've both referred now to her body, her garden, as his. As his. A couple thousand years later, Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3. He said, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband in the same way. The husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The idea is that married couples are one. And sex in the context of marriage can at times serve different purposes. There's a time for the all-night love-making session of magical proportions. There's certainly a time for that. There's times to explore the whole house, the shower, the floor. There's time for waking the neighbors. There is time for that, okay? But let me take some pressure off for any of you who are approaching your wedding night, okay? Your wedding night may not be and probably won't be that. You really probably will be tired and exhausted. It may be a beautiful, beautiful thing, but don't put so much pressure on that night. Here's the beautiful thing about marriage. You get to practice, you get better as you go. I'm telling you, the longer you're together, the better at this will, you will be. If you intentionally learn how to please one another, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's pretty cool. Now, sometimes in the context of marriage, there's a place and a time for the quickie. 
There's a place and a time. Yes, I just said that, okay? Everybody take a deep breath. It's okay. There's a place and a time for the quickie, a little afternoon delight, a fun, playful encounter. Sometimes, married couples know this, sometimes you just need to connect with each other because it's been a while. Sometimes you just need that. And for men specifically, there's a biological need for a release. But men don't ever go, well, it's 72 hours up and 1 Corinthians 7 says, don't do that. That won't work, okay? Don't ever quote that verse, all right? Memorize it, don't quote it, okay? But there are times when wife may not really be in the mood. She needs to serve her husband. And likewise, husband may not be in the mood. He needs to serve his wife. The idea is there is a duty involved here. It should never, though, be all business all the time. A couple needs to view their sex life as a fun journey of learning and exploring with creativity and spontaneity at times. But sometimes, you know what? It's just kind of plain and normal. And that's okay. That's the beauty of the freedom in the context of marriage. There's not enormous pressure on each sexual experience because there's freedom. There's freedom. Now, here's a really interesting part of the song. We're going to kind of wrap up with this one today. It's in chapter 5. It's the second part of that first verse. Your Bible may label this as friends speaking, okay? And we'll talk about who this may be speaking here in a couple minutes, all right? But it says this, Eat, O friends, and drink. Drink your fill, O lovers. Now, there's several things that could be happening here. Some commentators say this is more than likely Solomon sticking his head out from the tent going, Hey, you guys just keep on eating and partying. We're going to be a while. Okay, that could definitely be it. Other people say, you know what? This is probably the friends standing outside the bridal chamber going, you guys enjoy, you guys have a great time in there. Uh, This is great, this is awesome. To which I imagine Solomon saying, shut up, you know, can't concentrate, whatever, you know. Or here's what a lot of people say. They say that this is God speaking. This is God applauding in this moment going, way to go. Enjoy this moment of pleasing righteousness. Enjoy this beautiful gift I gave you. Eat, drink your fill, oh lovers. Either way, it doesn't matter who's speaking here. The point is this. This is good. This is good. Now here's the deal. I hope there are several things that stand out today. The first thing I hope that stands out is this. That this is a different picture of sex than the the painting that our culture has put out there for us, isn't it? This is a very different picture. This is a picture of two people making love with one another as opposed to self-centered, I got to get mine sex. And I hope it's really, really clear that this is a better picture. Isn't it? I mean, this is a much better way. And because it's better, I hope it's clear that this is worth waiting for, but not easy to wait for. It's simply not. Let me tell you what I mean. I love what author Lauren Winner says when she reflects. She's a follower of Jesus. She's just reflecting on how the church has communicated to people to wait over over the last hundred years or so. She says this. She says, they seem naive. They sound dishonest because they make chastity sound easy. They make it sound instantly rewarding. They make it sound sweet and obvious. I love this. True love waits is not that compelling when you're 29 and have been waiting and wonder what you're really waiting for. That's honesty. I hope that no one walks out of here during this series thinking that we're saying waiting to have sex until marriage is easy. It most certainly is not. Statistics would say most of us probably have not done that. Despite the church's best efforts with promise rings and gimmicks like abstinence pledge campaigns, which, by the way, 60% of participants fail within the first year. The other 40% fail within the second year. 40% of the readers of Christianity today, I mean, the most like conservative Christian group you can imagine, 40% of them said 
we've had premarital sex. 14% said they had had affairs. That's readers of Christianity today. It's certainly not easy. It wasn't easy for the couple in this song that we've been learning from, right? They barely made it to wedding day. I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it in his book, Mere Christianity. He's the guy who wrote all the Narnia stuff. He says this, We may indeed be sure that perfect chastity like perfect charity, will not be attained by merely human efforts. You must ask God for God's help. Even when you've done so, it may seem to you for a long time that no help or less help than you need is being given. Never mind. After each failure, ask forgiveness, pick yourself up, and try again. Very often, this is key, very often what God first helps us towards is not the virtue itself, but just this power of always trying again. It cures our illusions about ourselves and teaches us to depend on God. We learn that on one hand, we cannot trust ourselves even in our best moments. And I love this. And on the other hand, that we need not despair even in our worst for our failures are what? Say it. Are what? Forgiven. Forgiven. Let that wash over you tonight. Failures are forgiven. I hope that stands out. I also hope this stands out, that this whole thing that we've been watching tonight is incredibly romantic. It's incredibly romantic. I don't know if you know where the word romantic actually came from, but during the later years of the Roman Empire, all formal legal documents were written in formal Latin. But when people spoke to each other, and especially in poetry and storytelling, speaking of love, they spoke in what they called the vulgar tongue, which was later called the romantic language. See, there's an amount of legal formality in getting married. You're going to fill out a license and all that kind of stuff. You're going to take on new names, whatever. That's just the legal side. There's a romantic side. There should be a level of vulgarity, of explicit speech and romance in the context of marriage. But here's the bottom line today, okay? If nothing else stands out tonight, I really pray that these two words just jump out of this story as they've been jumping out at me. That this is a picture of freedom and joy. Isn't it? I mean, the wedding ceremony was marked by incredibly, incredible amount of joy and celebration. The wedding night was marked by incredible amount of freedom and passion. And Paul described this whole thing in Ephesians 5.32 as a profound mystery. That's a great way to put it. If you're here today and you're not married and you hope to be someday, you're planning on it someday, let me ask you this question. This is key, okay? What do you have to do right now to protect preserve and pursue that freedom and joy for marriage in the future what do you have to do right now to protect preserve and pursue that freedom and joy for marriage in the future if you're here tonight and you're married whether you've been married one time six times 10 minutes or 60 years what does it take for you to protect preserve and pursue that level of freedom and joy in your marriage now see that's what amazes me about jesus that he calls us to freedom and joy found in him regardless of where we've settled for less regardless of when we've settled for less regardless of how many times we've tried to compartmentalize our life and say jesus just don't touch that part of my life regardless of whether we've said don't touch any of my life i'm not interested in you regardless of how many times we've chosen not to trust him he still promises us life and not just any kind of life life to the full Not easy life. Who wants that? But adventurous, beautiful life full of freedom and joy if we will just follow him. And I think that's a profound mystery. Let's pray. God, 
we come before you tonight from all kinds of different perspectives. Married, divorced, single, in between, whatever, Father. We, we come before you, all of us, having settled for less than your ideal. That's what, that's what we've been learning. But your love is more than enough. And you really are more than, than we need. You overwhelm us with your love. And God, thank you for continuing to offer that to us in spite of the times that we've just kind of flipped you the, the finger and said, no, thank you. Thanks for being patient with us. Thanks for holding up these beautiful gifts for us, saying, I'm, I'm calling you to them. Just follow me. Thanks for not disqualifying us, even in the midst of the times we've just said, no, thank you. Thanks for continuing to be faithful. God, I pray that wherever we may find ourselves in this community, that we would be faithful to you because you've been so faithful to us and that consequently we would be faithful to one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.